Welcome here, everyone. Um, we're just going to let Levi come up to the front. Uh, and while he comes up to read the first scripture, uh, we'll pray. Um, we have the really great privilege of having wonderful, great readers who are willing to read and uh, beginning. So we'll um, enjoy Levi's reading and later Olivia's. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, that we can celebrate the birth of your son. I thank you for so many things that that means. Um, just lead us and guide us, and we welcome your presence here. Amen. For all her sins, a voice cries. In the wilderness, propel the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become even, a rugged places a plain. And the glory of God will be revealed, and the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You will bring good news to Zion. Uh, go up high on a mountain. You will bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. Very good. Um, and now we'll call up Asher, and he is going to light the Advent candles. Um, this is going to be a response reading. But I will be the one reading the whole thing. As the people part comes in, please join. Um, and we'll go from there. We light a candle of peace. And we know and experience God's tender mercies, God's compassion. We light the candle of peace to feel God's embrace, God's nearness, God's breath. Let us come together and see what God has done. Well done. Thank you. 
As Olivia comes up, he'll give you a chance to look up Luke 1, 5 to 23. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the prismy division of Abahiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were regions of the sight of God, overstanding all of the Lord's commands and distries, blame Lizzie. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to convince, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving the priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the criticism of the presenthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of intense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the, at the night, right side of the altar of intense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you with a son, and you will call him John. He will be joy and delight to you, and many of rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll never, never to take wine or other freedom drink, and he will be filled with glory's Holy Spirit. Even before he is born, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord of God, and he will go on before the Lord and the spirit and power of Elijah to, to turn the hearts of his parents to their children and the disorderment to the wisdom of the regions to, to make re ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am old man, I'm an old man, and my wife is well young in years, well long in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell, and to tell you this is good news. And now you'll be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true their appointed time. Meanwhile, the, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. While he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but reminded, a, reminded a, unable to speak. When his time of the service was completed, he returned home. All right. First off, I want to say I'm very impressed at the lighting of the candles. I have tried to use that lighter on more than one occasion now to see about lighting those candles for pictures for things, and I have never managed to master it. It is a bit beyond me. But the younger generation, they know they know how technologies work. But please bow with me now as we dismiss children to Children's Church. Our God, we come before you this morning, thankful for each and every one of our little ones. God, we pray that they have a good time in Children's Church, that they have lessons that will stay with them their entire lives. And we also pray a blessing on the teachers that the words come to them and also the compassion and caring as well. God, we also want to pray a blessing on our service today. Please move through us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, children are dismissed. So, if you have your bulletins on you, uh, you will notice there are a couple things on there. The first one that I want to point out is, unfortunately, looking at the snow and looking at the forecast and how it's only supposed to pick up and uh, go down in temperature to the point that it's supposed to be like minus 27 or something like that by this evening. Uh, unfortunately, caroling, hayride, bonfire, that'll be canceled for tonight. Uh, we'll look for a different time in the winter to do it. Um, that one hits me hard. But at the same time, better to be safe. Uh, youth on Wednesday at 7.30 to 9.30. 
No ladies Bible study on Monday at 1.20, so mark that down. Uh, prayer meeting Wednesday at 7 p.m., uh, Sunday service at 10.45. Beyond that, uh, next Sunday is going to be our Advent service that evening at 7 p.m.? At 7 p.m. here at the church. Uh, so I would encourage you all to come on out for that. That is going to be a wonderful time of being together, introspection, and looking forward to Christ coming. That is next Sunday, the Advent service at 7 p.m. at the church. And apart from that, there is uh, items that you can read yourself. Now, as far as things to pray for, uh, continued prayer for Bilal and Fatima as they continue to wait for the tickets to come in, for them to come home to Canada. That's the only thing that we're waiting on for them, just for when the Canadian government will issue those tickets. The next one, Ben and Mika Hebert. Some of you might remember them uh, from back in the 90s when they came. Ben passed away rather suddenly from a heart attack this past. Well, I want to say it was actually on November 22nd when that happened, but the news only came to me to, uh, this week. So please pray for uh, their family and their kids also as they are going through this difficult time. Please also pray for the Christmas season. It is a wonderful and uplifting time for so many of us, but for so many others, it is also a very difficult time as they look to deal with either family issues or memories of Christmases gone by. So keep those people in your prayers. Uh, also, university students, uh, this week is not exams, but I believe that next week is. So that is coming up real fast. And so make sure to keep them uh, in your prayers as they prepare for the uh, last part before they get to come home for winter break. Also, keep the University of Manitoba in your prayers. Because of that strike, then it's been a very difficult time for the students trying to figure out what is going on this winter. And so make sure to keep them in your prayers as well. And our church and our conference as we go through this Advent series. Oh, one other thing to announce. Um, we are collecting names for our annual Christmas goodies. Uh, so if you know anybody that is in need of a pick-me-up this Christmas, just get their name and their address to me at some point as soon as you can. All right. And so with all of those things said, let's go now into a time of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning in prayer. Lord, we, though we are disappointed that we won't be able to have our event this evening at the same time, we thank you for the snow. After Shannon and I took a trip to get a Christmas tree by Jackson's Lake at the farm there, then seeing how low that reservoir was, it just, it really struck us just how dry it's been. And so God, we pray, keep sending that moisture along. We need it. And please also be with everybody as they are out on the roads uh, this day and as the storm goes on. And please send safety to them as they find themselves wherever it is that they will go. But again, we thank you for the snow. And God, as we continue to pray for our church, we have a number of items that we want to bring before you. We want to thank you so much for the EMC. And we want to thank you so much for the brotherhood and sisterhood and the family that is to be found in our sister churches. And God, we pray as we all go through this series on come and see, on refocusing on Jesus over these months to come. God, we want to thank you that we can join together in that. 
And Lord, we pray also that you will move through that series and that it'll bring a great return to you, a great refocusing on you. Lord, we want to put that before you. And God, we want to also pray for Bilal and Fatima. Lord, it has been such a long time. And now that it's only the tickets that are waiting for now, God, we pray that those will come sooner rather than later. Lord, we pray that as soon as possible, they will be able to find themselves on this side of the ocean. And God, we want to pray also for Dan and Sandra with all of the work that they are doing with Bilal and Fatima when they get here. God, we pray, give them everything that they need for that to be done. And God, we also want to pray for the family of Mika Hebert after the passing of Ben. God, we pray, be with the kids. Lord, we pray, be their rock during this time. Give them the stories that they need to hear about their father. Give them the stories that will do them well. And Lord, just continue to be their strength as well. And God, we want to also bring before you our university students as they are looking to go into exam season once again. Lord, pray, be with them as they study. Be with them as they prepare. Be with them as they do this last thing before they can come home for the holidays. And God, we pray that as they find themselves on the far end of the exams, that anxiety that comes with writing those fades quickly so that they will be able to fully rest over the time to come before they are back at it again this January. And Lord, finally, we want to pray for all of the people that this time of year is a hard time for. For so many of us, it is an uplifting and a wonderful time that we have a trouble seeing for those that it is torture. And so God, we pray, open our eyes to who we need to be a comfort for during this time. And Lord, also be the strength and the comfort that these people need. Lord, all of these things we bring before you today and we place them at your feet. In your name we pray, amen. Everyone has their Bibles on them, open to that passage. Luke 1, 5 to 23. Our passage begins like this, and you can follow along. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Judea there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Today I'm going to commit a bit of an Advent taboo. And that is that I'm going to get all of the services a little bit out of whack. Often during this season, we go through a very particular progression. We go from hope, then peace, love, then joy. And this passage, then being the one for peace, I suppose because Zechariah is made mute at the end of it, so that might be very peaceful for some. But, but reading through it a number of times, I want to instead talk about hope because I think that we're going to get a bit more from that. At least I got more from that. And so to begin looking at this block of scripture, we should notice the obvious. It comes up a number of times. There are a lot of children that are talked about in this passage, both explicitly and not. Actually, right from the beginning, right in verse 1, 
We're told that Herod is the king of Judea. That would be Herod the Great, a name that he has not so much because he's great as we would think about it. He was actually just a monster of a person, but because he built a lot of big stuff. Applicable to this passage, Herod the Great, while known for a couple things, the biggest one is, is that he killed three of his sons. So there we have our first references to children. We then move on, and we have find out that Zechariah and his wife are both descendants of Aaron, who we learned of a couple weeks back. He was the brother of Moses, the, of the tribe of Levi, the tribe that is tasked to be priest to the other tribes of Israel. And not only is Zechariah a priest, a Levite, he is also a very good priest, we are told. He observes the commandments and decrees blamelessly, a fact that causes us to get a little bit of whiplash when we're told in the next verse that the couple had no children. A passage goes on. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense there. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Children at that time were not viewed so much like children today are. Now more often than not, they often come up as something that you do once you are good and ready for them. They end your freedom. So you wait until you are done having your fun before you even think of kids. Not saying everyone thinks like that, but you don't need to watch too much TV or books or culture and like movies to get that general feeling. But in the time of the Bible, children were viewed very differently. They were just a blessing from God, full stop. There was no social net at that time, so it was children who took care of you when you were older. There was no TV, so they were your entertainment. They were how bonds became formed with other families when it came time to marry them off. They were how you passed on your business from one generation to the other after you have taught them all of the things you need to know about your trade. Children in the Bible are a blessing from God, full stop, to the point that very often when you read about them in scripture, they are used symbolically for what will come in the future, what God will do in the future. So for Zechariah and Elizabeth, who always did right before the Lord to have no children, without a doubt, that is something that Zechariah would have struggled with over his life. This would have been a point that would have gotten a lot of airtime in his mind. And then one day at the job site, Zechariah was selected to go into the temple to burn incense. The phrase there was that he was selected by drawing lots. And that should pop out to us. Zechariah's division, it would have had a bunch of people in it. So to maintain some amount of fairness as to who got to do this job, this important job, essentially the lottery chose. Not so much because a lottery is random, mind you, but more because 
It was believed that through a lottery, then God had his say because God was possible to influence the outcome. And so that Zechariah went into that temple, that we should read was on purpose. We are to know God chose him, chose Zechariah, the good yet childless priest, to do that. And us reading begin to think that something big is coming. And the passage doesn't disappoint. For next we read that then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, we, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your, your prayer has been heard. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Your prayers have been heard. I looked that one up. In Greek, that's plural. Prayers. As I said, children have been on Zechariah's heart for a long time. When we read this part of the passage, certain other Bible stories would do well to come to our mind. Abraham and his wife Sarah were on in years when they were told by a messenger of God that they would have a child. Another is Samson. His parents asked for a child many times before God blessed them with the supernatural judge of the Israelites. That link to Samson is actually one that's made explicit in this passage. Your son will not take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Spirit. In that phrase is a part of what are called the Nazarite vows. Samson's parents made them about Samson as well. There is also a description of Samson in there for when he performed the acts of great strength that he's famous for, the spirit was said to come on him. In short, the coming son of Zechariah will be in this way, Gabriel tells us, a judge, a great leader of the people. Then he goes on, alluding next to Elijah, the great prophet of the Lord who struggled against all odds to turn the people away from the other gods that they followed at that time, back toward God. And he did this in the face of danger, and he did this even in the face of death. 
Your son, Gabriel, proclaims he will turn the faces of parents to their children, turn the disobedient to wisdom, meaning he will make the people care about what is to come. He will make them look forward to what is to come. Try to have skin in the game for what is to come because how can you be more invested in the future than if you have an eye on the children yet to come? How can you be for wisdom if you are blind to the plight of the next generation? How can you be righteous, focused on God, if those who will come next don't even enter into your equations? This will be your son, Zechariah. He will be the one who will cause the foolish and the self-centered to see beyond themselves, to see what God is about to do. In short, Gabriel tells us with every passing line, a greater and a greater miracle about who this child of Zechariah's will be. When he comes, he will be a Levite. He will be a priest in the line of Aaron, just by nature of being born. And then when he comes, he will also be a judge Mighty is the strongest hero who has ever lived, able to lead the people back in the name of the Lord. And when he comes, he will be a prophet himself, who will speak as the mouthpiece of God, a prophet who will clear the way for the coming of the Lord on high, who will upend the unfairness and the iniquities of the world. This child, your son, Zechariah, he will herald the coming of the God who will stand against those like Herod, who care so little for what is to befall them that he will kill his own children, his own future, at a whim. While there are people like this couple who want nothing more than a future of their own. This will be who your son will be, Zechariah. He will be the one who will make way for the justice that you have not had, the justice of the coming Messiah. Each of these miracles of who Zechariah's son will be, a child, a priest, a judge, a destined prophet, each of these miracles is greater than the last. This is who your son will be, Zechariah. This is who your son will be. And while us reading this are amazed at what the angel has said, having seen what is to come Christmas after Christmas, look at Zechariah sitting before the angel of the Lord shaking. What is the thing that he simply cannot believe? I'm going to have a son. He's stuck there. I'm going to have a child. Not on the fact that Gabriel, a literal angel, speaking to him on behalf of God himself is standing before him. 
Not on the litany of miracles, Gabriel tells him that one day his child will be and will do. Not that his child has an instrumental part to play in how God will bring salvation to the world through Jesus who is yet to come. The one that John will one day clear the way for. But instead, just on the simplest of facts that the angel has told him, that his prayers have been answered, for soon he will have a child of his own. That is what he can't believe. Because he has lost hope long ago. Our passage concludes, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. That Zechariah was struck mute. I always used to think that that was a punishment for his disbelief. I'm not so sure that's the truth anymore. I mean, maybe it is, but if you can't speak, what do you do? You watch and you listen. You watch and listen at what is going to come. The passage draws to a close with Zechariah, I assume, wildly gesticulating to get across that he had witnessed something, or so I read from the phrase, keeps making signs. I love this conclusion. It's one of the best of any of the stories that John tells because he's clearly gone through something. He is wildly gesticulating to make sure that everybody knows that he has seen an angel of God or witnessed a miracle. And then what actually happens in that last one? Like, he's actually made to complete the rest of his shift I mean, imagine that. You've gone through this great life-changing thing and all of your coworkers are absolutely amazed by it, but like, not enough to cover your shift. You're still on the clock. It's great. This is a story to me about losing hope. It's easier than you think to lose hope. We think from the movies that it's always some grand big turning event, but from my experience, for the most part, it tends to be more of a drawn out process. There's something that's important to you, then it is kept or dragged apart from you and you pray for it a little at first. It's maybe not even that important to begin with. Then you pray a lot, and then you pray fervently, and nothing. This thing becomes a bigger and bigger deal to you as that time goes on. And eventually you just come to assume, whether you realize it or not, that maybe you don't think God's really all that powerful after all. And when that happens, 
that to you God can't do all things. Your hope is gone. To lose hope is to lose the forest for the tree that has fallen down in it. God didn't give you this thing that you prayed for ceaselessly, so why would you believe that God can do anything? I mean the little stuff, sure, but the big? You have your proof already, after all, and everything else to the contrary, the rest of the world's worth of experiences to the contrary, that's not you. God became powerless to you. That's what hopelessness does. It makes a man like Zechariah, good priest of the Lord, unable to believe that the Lord can do any of the things he says he will. It is not a small thing to lose hope, as someone who has dealt with the same struggles as Zechariah will tell you, that you are left with little when it happens. That is true. So if this happens to you, which, let's face it, with how the last two years have gone, I suspect may be the case for many of us. The question is, how do you get that back? From my experience, you do what Gabriel punishes Zachariah with. You stop talking, you watch, and you listen. We were fortunate enough after our boat with infertility to have a child. Another on the way, praise God. So you think that would mean that everything is just fine right at that moment? Fun fact, no. Because if you've already come to see that God is incapable of things, then you don't just leave that behind. That sticks with you because it took time to get there. It has rooted itself into you and it takes time to move past that as well. But close your mouth, which to me means you look outward instead of in for a while. And you watch and listen. That is to other people's side of things. The places where God is hard at work in the lives of those around you, in the world around you. Watch and listen as Zachariah was made to do, and in time, it becomes hard not to see that maybe God is more capable than you think. And to regain hope, that's important. There is a lot of talk about children in our passage today. And while in large part, it is because Zachariah does not have a little one, and with God's blessing now, he will. There's also that other thing I mentioned before about the future. This is a passage about what God will do, about what is to come. And talk of children, be they ours or not, or hypothetical children. 
there is looking to what will come in that. We have already seen what our God has done. We are seeing what our God is doing, although not often clearly. But in the talk of children, we recognize that we should also keep an eye out for the fact that he will be doing things as well. To lose hope in that, to lose hope in those yet to come, to lose hope in the world that we're going to leave to them, to lose hope that God will be with them too. Then what you have? If you don't have hope in God, then don't have hope in what is to come, then why do anything? And what do we even have to leave to those who come after us? Why not just enjoy the day and let them pick up the ashes, as terrible as that is to say out loud? Without hope that God can change things, why not be sociopaths? It's more fun that way. Without hope, we think things like that. Without hope, we have made ourselves less than what humans should be. We pray for renewal. We pray for the Spirit to sweep through us and to light the world on fire for Him again. Lose hope in what is to come, and you will miss how the Spirit is at work either way. After the past two years, I dare say that probably all of us are a little low on hope. Just about now. And it's been a tough go. The things we prayed for often were ripped from us. The world we prayed for often felt closer to the edge of some unknown abyss than it ever did before. There was the pandemic. There's climate change, there's injustices, everything for some puzzling reason getting turned into a partisan argument. Friends and family are gone. We're all just now, I think, a little bit low on hope. And that causes us to doubt what our God can and will do in the future of our church and in the future of the church as well. But just as the angel told Zechariah, his son did come and he did make the way for our savior who followed. And he's still hard at work. And if you look, it's really not that hard to see it. The church globally is thriving, better than it has ever before, being the support for those who need it. The Holy Spirit equips millions a day to build the world to come, to build the kingdom to come. If our hope is built on the Lord Jesus Christ, that rock is still there for it to be strong. And don't lose sight of that. So for my assignment for you this week, 
why don't we try joining Zechariah in his healing punishment? Let's just stop talking and learn to watch and listen for a bit. Stop talking about the things that cause us to lose hope in the world that we are leaving to our children, but instead watch and listen to how God is at work around us. So to begin with, why don't you in prayerful soul searching identify the places in your life that cause you to lose hope at what God will do? The parts of your life that bring the most dread of what is to come. I suggest you start looking there. If you can identify what they are, that goes a long way to making them weigh a little less. I'm not saying that your concerns that cause these anxieties are all in your head or aren't real, but instead just that if we believe in an all-powerful God, then there shouldn't be anything that causes us to lose hope. Start there. Then why don't you turn off the news for a little bit and maybe tune out of social media and YouTube as well, of which if we've learned anything from the pandemic, I think that we should learn that there is no hope to be found there. And instead, maybe go out and have a coffee with a friend and ask them about their day. Ask them about how God has been at work in their life. And on this, actually, uh, while I'm very sad that our event tonight is canceled, it presents us with a bit of an opportunity in that uh, you're going to find two very big boxes of donuts on the back table. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as you are leaving today, take a donut or two and then just bring them to someone you know and ask them how they are. Ask them how God has been at work in their lives. You'll be happy that you did that. You will feel more hopeful that you did that. And if you end up eating those donuts for yourself, then, you know, I didn't notice. <laughs> we really need to get rid of them. There's like two big boxes full. We may or may not know what God is doing in our own lives, but once you start looking and seeing other places that he is hard at it, that changes how you see things a little bit. That brings things to be hopeful for into the open. Then a final point. When the storm passes, why not take a drive into nature for just a bit? It's beautiful out there. It's hard to think that God could carve those hills and be with the people who did the rest of the work. If you end up at Jackson's Lake like we did, it's hard to see that and just assume that God is gonna let it burn. No, he will be at work in what is to come. Keep on with that. And the world we are leaving to our kids, it may not seem quite so bad. The things God will call us to do may not seem quite so insurmountable. It's a process to lose hope in God. It's a process to recover it. But if you work at it, 
you're going to be amazed at what all you will see God can do. Amen. As I said before, donuts on your way out. Make sure you grab a couple. Bring them to friends. And again, if you eat them yourself, that's fine too. We really need to get rid of those donuts. But we read in Ephesians, May God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grant peace, love, and faith to all the brothers. May grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in life imperishable. Go now and serve our God.